Hello, welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. I will be reading from the book by Jensen Franklin, Overcoming When You Feel Overwhelmed, Five Steps to Surviving the Chaos of Life. We are on step two. Look at him. Tino Walenda is the sixth generation of wire walkers in the Walenda family, high wire circus performers who do not use safety nets. Their legacy began in the late 1700s when Tino's family started out as a traveling circus in Europe. Eventually, they focused their expertise on high wire acts and became known as the Flying Wallendas. This famous family is named in the Guinness Book of World Records for their eight-person pyramid up on the wire. Tino has walked the wire between high-rise buildings, the tallest being the Denver DNF Tower, a reach of 189 feet into the air. He walked to the tower from a crane that was set up 3,300 feet away. He also walked the wire over rivers, over waterfalls, over tigers, and once over a swimming pool filled with more than 50 man-eating sharks. Tino's grandfather, Carl Walenda, who crossed the Talula Falls Gorge and performed two headstands in the middle of that walk, taught Tino how to maintain balance on the wire. Tino says of his grandfather, Staying focused on Jesus is the key, no matter who you are. It's just like what my grandfather, Carl, taught me about walking the wire. The most important thing he ever taught me was to put my focus on an unmoving point at the far end of the wire and never let my attention waver. Over and over again, he drilled into my thick skull the importance of maintaining my balance by focusing on this fixed point. The lesson has saved me from disaster on the tightrope so many times in my career, but it has also helped me in my day-to-day life. The minute life gets overwhelming, we tend to stop looking at Jesus and we focus more on the problem. We can't stop thinking about the addiction that's ravaging our brain and destroying our marriage or the anxiety that forces us to stay in bed all day. Yet the moment you gave your life to Jesus, he began to direct your path. And while his plan for you would include storms, it also provides rescue. Life requires faith to endure the storms. Once I heard someone say that we're either in a storm, on our way into a storm, or getting out of a storm. I have a feeling that if you're reading this book, you are familiar with stormy weather. I have often reached the verge of disaster because my eyes were on the storm, not on the fixed point, Jesus. Wherever you are right now, I have a word for you. The message God wants every believer to embrace is what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 24, 6. See that you are not troubled. See that you are not troubled. That might be hard to do when you're nursing a broken heart, when the rent is due and the bank account is insufficient, when you're in recovery for the third time, 
But the words of Jesus hold the same power today as when he spoke them to his disciples. The scene may be different, but the truth has not changed, not one bit. Through all the fear, anxiety, and confusion in your heart right now, abide in his words. See that you are not troubled. How do you do that? Keep your eyes on Jesus. The best advice I can offer you in step two, look to him. Looking to Jesus is the gold standard for surviving the storm of life. It's what Peter discovered when he stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water towards Jesus. I want to use this story as an anchor for the second step to overcoming in the end times. Look to him. The Gospels record the story of the day Jesus made his disciples get in a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When I first went to Israel and stood before the famous Sea of Galilee, I thought the bus had arrived at the wrong location. It was not a sea as I imagined it, like the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. It was an endless view of water and no land in sight. The Sea of Galilee seems small to me, more like a large lake. It is shaped like a harp and is about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. But perhaps it is called a sea because of the types of storms that can suddenly strike the water, creating waves as high as 3 to 4 feet. The tempests arrive when the cooler air Masses from the surrounding mountains collide with the warm air above the lake. Fierce winds can also blow in from the eastern. I witnessed this type of turbulent behavior firsthand. I had just finished preaching a message on the Sea of Galilee, literally, when the captain said, everyone, we have to go right now. Only minutes later, one of the most intense storms I have ever seen came out of nowhere. The abrupt storm helped me understand how the disciples felt that day. As the disciples sailed off, Jesus stayed behind, going up to the mountain to pray in solitude. When evening came, a storm erupted on the water. The disciples battled the winds and the waves all night. When it was the fourth and last watch around 3 a.m. in the morning, The petrified men went to the skin, saw what looked like a ghost walking on the water. It was Jesus. I imagine that the disciples wiping stinging water from their eyes were trying hard not to hyperventilate (laughs) at the particular sight. Then Jesus called out to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Matthew 14:27 At the sight of Jesus Peter grew bold. He asked Jesus to command him to come and walk on the violent seas. Jesus told Peter to come and the disciples edged out of the teetering vessel. I imagine shock swept over the drenched man as the churning waves roiled over his feet, the water coming in sideways. A few steps ahead, The fierce breath of the wind almost robbed him of his balance. Fear struck his heart and Peter began to sink. 
Immediately Jesus caught him and said, O you of little faith, why do you doubt? O you of little faith, why did you doubt? As the two climbed aboard the vessel that rocked from one side to the other atop the sea, suddenly there was peace. The waves lulled to rest. The wind stopped its piercing howl and the rain ceased. Though it may have felt like it to the disciples, Jesus hadn't left them alone in the storm. He was with them on the water just as much as he was with them while he was praying on the side of the mountain. Jesus wasn't blind or distracted. He had seen what had happened from the moment the disciples began to row past the shallow shores to the moment the storm clouds fractured the sky. As he showed up in physical form right on time, I bring you good news. Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. Just as he is with Peter, when Peter walked on the water, he is right here to save you. Maybe you're weighed down by guilt over years wasted, or you're encumbered with fear because of the news of your news feed spits out nothing but negativity, violence, and despair. Take a breath right now. Your hope is not gone. Your future is secure. The set of circumstances you find yourself in is but a season, not a sentence. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. Look to him. He's got you. Here's something that strikes me when I read the story of walking on the water. Jesus made the disciples go to the other side. The King James Version puts it like this. Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. Matthew fourteen twenty two. Constrained is a strong word. Jesus didn't give these guys a choice. He made them go. They weren't in the middle of a storm because they had messed up or failed somehow. They were there because of divine instruction. Jesus put them in the storm. He knew that they would receive revelations in the storm that they would never learn from the safety of the shore. Know that if you are reading this book today, the winds are howling, and the waves are raging in your life, God didn't create the storm to hurt you. He has allowed you to be exactly where you are in order to show you things that you can only learn in a storm. Even when you make poor decisions and create storms yourself that you could have avoided, God is still with you. He is telling you today, I am the God who has a superseding rule over your life called divine instruction. And even out of this struggle, you will overcome. The most critical thing you can do in a storm is keep rowing. When his newborn son died, P.J. Fleck, the current football coach, as this writing for the University of Minnesota's Golden Gophers in 2011, developed a mantra for approaching life during that terrible storm. He called it, row the boat. This new life perspective, Flex says, your back is to the future, which is something you cannot control. 
You don't know if there's rocks, waterfalls, stormy seas. You don't know what's ahead of you. You're rowing in the present, which is the only thing you can actually control and the only thing you can actually have an impact on. You either choose to take your oars and put them back in the boat and stop or you put them back in the water and you continue to go. Coach Flex refers to the oars as the energy, a symbol of strength. I like to think that the oars that are needed to persevere and overcome in a storm are worship and faith. Satan wants you to drop your oars and give up. He wants you to just throw up your hands in despair and ask, what's the use? He will distract you from listening to worship music or powerful messages about faith because he knows the power found in those two things, power that can move a mountain and still a storm. As you look to Jesus in any storm, focus on the promises of God. His promises reinforce your faith. Think of Job and all he went through when he lost his nest of comfort and stability. His natural reaction may have been to give up, but he used the two oars of worship and faith to hang on and to trust in God. When God watches you worship, he sees you activating your faith. He takes notice of how you push through discouragement and give him glory. And that's when he shows up. When the family situation is tough, the financial challenges are overwhelming, and the sickness just seems too much to bear, take a breath and lift your hands. Say, God, here am I. I'm moving forward. I'm still rowing with my oars of worship and faith, and I will not quit until you show up. You don't have to impress God with big words. Exhale your, exhale your faith through the words and whatever simple language you need to use. This is how you row one stroke at a time. Sometimes the wind is at your back and it feels as if everything's going for you. You're doing all the right things and you may think, The outcome will be God's favor and blessings lavished on you. But other times the wind is blowing directly in your face and it feels as if everything is going against you. Don't ever let the direction of the wind determine whether you believe God is with you or not. He is always with you. And just because things are coming against you does not mean you're doing anything wrong. Row the boat. Keep on rowing. The, t- the disciples didn't stop rowing, and Jesus saw that. This is key. The disciples weren't doing nothing. They were fighting. Jesus saw them as they were straining and toiling, muscles aching, and he went to them. Mark six forty eight. I want you to know today that your ability to see Jesus doesn't mean that he can't see you. He saw the disciples rowing in the midst of the mighty storm. Just as he sees you in the middle of your crisis, 
Jesus sees you in the middle of your crisis. He is the God of provision on the shore and the God of miracles in the midst of your storms. Just as the disciples rowed with all of their might, you can use oars of worship and faith to row, knowing they will get you to where God needs you to go. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. God sees the times you slip and fall into sin, but he also sees the good in your life. He sees the righteousness of Jesus in you. He sees your faith and praise. He sees your willingness not to give up. He sees you believing and holding on. Your God sees the good, and that should bring great comfort. Believe in the promise that he won't ever leave or forsake you. He will never abandon you in the storm. Keep worshiping. Keep believing. Don't give up. I don't know the deliverance from, I don't know what deliverance from a storm will look like for you. You might walk on water. You might stay in the boat. You might get to the other side with the sea still raging. Don't carve your own way out. Trust God to do it his way. Sometimes you don't really find out who Jesus is until you get in the storm. You don't really find out how faithful, loving, and merciful he is until you are in desperate need of a Savior. Maybe you're in a storm right now and there seems to be no sign of Jesus yet. Just keep looking for him. He is going to come walking on top of the challenge that is about to take you under. And he will calm your storm in such a way that the only reasonable response is to worship him and declare, you really are the son of God. The most powerful lesson from this entire story of the disciples facing the storm is not found in the miracle of Peter being able to walk on the water. It is found in the profound revelation of who Jesus really is. The miracle is not always the revelation. The feeding of the thousands wasn't the first miracles, first miracle the disciples ever saw. They had just seen water turn into wine, sight be restored to the blind. They had watched crooked limbs straighten and had witnessed demons coming out of people. But their doubts still simmered. They didn't understand who Jesus was. It took a terrifying storm to see not only his power, but also his authority. They finally had a fuller picture of the one they had committed to follow. As he stretched out his hand, waves crashing at his robe, and ceased the wind from blowing, everyone in the boat recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. Who he is is always greater than than what he does.